Are you ready to build a business with consistent income and have time left to spend with your family? In Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson, you will learn the strategies to create exactly what you want in your business and in your life. Now, here's your host, Kathleen Reeson. Welcome to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. And you guys, I have such a fun show planned for you today. So I invited my friend, Michael Bird. Say hi, Michael. Hello. Michael and I have known each other for how long? A long time. Yeah. Unfortunately, we reveal our age too much to tell you how long, but yeah. So (laughs) like, you know, like a year. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) like a year. With that. But Michael, so I'm not going to steal your thunder. You get to share what what you're up to, but you've you've been running Spindustry now for 25 years and are the experts in e-commerce and web development and SharePoint. And I know from a strategy perspective, whenever Michael and I are together, we have these incredible conversations. And so today we're really inviting you into the conversation that we just have and take for granted that everybody has these conversations. So Michael, welcome. And do you want to share a little bit about what you're up to? Uh, sure. You know, like you said, we're in our 25th year as Spindustry and we're just, you know, focusing on, you know, we, we work with a lot of manufacturers and help them with e-commerce sites, help them go online. As you can imagine, in the past year, um, can we do business online has become a big question for people or something they, or, you know, hoped they had maybe started two years ago. So we've spent a lot of time helping people play catch up on the e-commerce side and on the SharePoint side so they can do business with each other. And I spend my day as a, you know, as a business strategist, sometimes as a reluctant salesperson, but, but, you know, my ideal day is more as a business strategist working with existing clients that we have to help them figure out what they're doing next. So let's go back to 1996, because this is my favorite part of it, like way back in the beginning. I know for me, when I started my first business, it was 2008. So you were already like way ahead of the game, but think back to 1996, what was going through your head when you decided to, to launch Spinistry? Oh yeah. So, so I went to school for marketing and management information systems. So I'm one of the 1% who is actually doing what they went to school for, (laughs) you know? So I just, this industry happened to emerge around me where they're like, can you do some development and programming and stuff, but also have a business mindset and, and, you know, deal on kind of the marketing side. I'm like, yes, those are the two things I, I like to do. So, so in 1996, uh, or I guess one more year before that, I guess I was working for EDS. So one of the largest, you know, information technology companies in the world, I was 22 or whatever. I did, you know, just starting out and doing those things. Um, but things were changing quickly. There was a lot of new technology coming out and I met my now business partner, Steve Fry, and he was working at a smaller company. And I did some freelancing with him and then realized this could be a full-time job. And I liked the idea of going to help a smaller organization utilize information technology and marketing to embrace this new thing called the internet and also just managing data. And so I'll do this quick, but yes, in, in, in doing that for about a year with that smaller company, we realized we should go do this for other people. And that's when we started, we threw a, you know, a thousand dollars in a bank account and uh, came up with a name and started offering services as industry to a world that didn't yet really know what the internet was, um, but, but start, we're starting to know what computers were and starting to know that everybody had one and we were right at that cusp of figuring out what the world was gonna do with it all. 
So what I find fascinating is as you guys have grown, you've, you've created kind of offshoots with training and development. Talk a little bit about that and how you, how you decide when an offshoot is something you want to create. Oh, sure. And we're hundred percent right all the time. Yes. Um, That's an awesome lesson right there. (laughs) Yeah. If you, if you just be hundred percent right all the time, you're fine. Um, No, we, we didn't quite do that, but we've done pretty well. We're pretty risk averse and, We've just, so, so we started with, really, we started as more of a contracting firm, you know, just putting myself and other people, the very small group of people we had out on contracts. And we were doing access database work, visual basic, building little applications, starting to build uh, websites. And so then we, you know, we're doing that on contract and then we started doing it on um, individual projects and stuff. And that was going, you know, pretty well. And then... Yeah, we were trying to figure out how do you, you know, every, everybody puts so much pressure on you to keep growing. You know, if you're standing still, you're not, you're failing, you know, like how do you, and sometimes you're just keeping up with the thing that you're offering or the service you're offering. And so bolting on an additional service is an easy way to, well, not easy, but is a way to grow your business if you're just not sure how to organically grow the thing that you're already doing. So we just looked at opportunities, but like in the case of training, um, we had been talking to this person and this person, there was a training company that was closing and one of the trainers interviewed with us to maybe become a developer. And we said, well, wait a minute, don't you have a training audience? You have people that would come to you if you kept training? And they said, yep. And so we said, well, why don't you come on, maybe be a developer, but maybe you also bring some of your training clients with you and we'll do some training that could then lead to development, et cetera. And we worked out all the legal hurdles with all the bodies involved and everything. But then that became a, you know, a a training operation in addition to what we were doing. And then the SharePoint, the SharePoint aspect, we were kind of ahead of the curve teaching SharePoint. We had a great trainer who came from Florida actually, and some other folks that started doing that work. We were teaching training or teaching SharePoint via the training company. And then obviously people said, hey, that was great, but now we got to go do a project. Do you do you come on site and help with SharePoint projects? And we said we do now. You know, and and so so we did that. And that still though, it all remained back to the core, right? So we went into this different technology, but now we're talking about doing custom development the way we did with the web development and access stuff before that. We didn't suddenly decide, hey, let's go make donuts. You know, it was still related to a core that made sense as it would make sense that Spindustry does that. And so that was kind of the, when we looked for new opportunities, we tried to, unless we were gonna start a totally new company, we tried to make you know make sure that the story would make sense if somebody said, well, yeah, that makes sense that they would be getting into that. So, so one of the things you said in the very beginning of all that, which is, is really key to how you think is we always get it right, but we say that in a way of joking because <laughs> we don't. <laughs> yeah. So talk about that, the, the journey of not getting it right. So, sh- sh- sure. So we, you know, we tried, for example, um, you know, we've had people tell us that, oh, the reason you're not getting this business or that business is you should be in this other technology. You should learn Java or PHP or something instead of just the Microsoft technologies that we support. And at some point when you're not, you know, selling enough of what you need to be selling or whatever else, you're like, maybe they're right. You know, so we explored some different technologies 
and it just you realize it just had the same problems and it was just more more headache more stuff to take care of and it didn't really solve what we were trying to do so we backed off of that we had tried being in different locations having different people in different cities a little bit based on just organic where they came from and such and it, it didn't really for us work out um you know hiring <laughs> we've had our most challenge in hiring salespeople. so knowing you know knowing when to you know cut the cord on a salesperson that you've hired that's chewing up salary but not doing anything those are some mistakes that we've made but by and large sticking to what we know we know how to do and not overreaching too far we haven't made that many mistakes but that's the those were some of the some of them you know you back when we were starting y2k was a big deal and we just didn't ever really get into that whole mess and there were people that thought that was bad and maybe we would have made a bunch of money doing that for a little while but as you can imagine that bubble kind of just came to an end and people that were totally focused on that had to start over and rethink themselves so yeah we're not super risk averse so i will say in credit to some people that are still with us at spin industry and some who aren't some of our biggest mistakes are probably some things that we never did we probably weren't aggressive enough we probably didn't try some reaches that we could have but we also never you know have really crashed and burned in any way doing that kind of stuff either so I, I you know sort of being in the middle of five on the risk scale out of 10 works for me in my personal life and works for me um, in our business and it's 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 been a pretty good 25 years I guess so we what do you see being in the creative space yeah. that you guys I mean you guys are in a creative space but you're also in a highly analytical space yeah. so how do you balance the creativity and the analyzer side well that's that's a whole that's a, this is a real life. I'm literally 30 minutes before we got on this, right? I'm writing a proposal to a company about doing digital marketing, right? And I'm not pulling any punches in what I'm writing that the previous organization they had used made it an art project, right? They were talking, all their reports were talking about these two campaigns they were doing and which images and what kind of look and feel they did in this and how many impressions they got on social. And I'm reading through the 12 pages of this going, yeah, cool. How many did you sell? You know, how many, how many conversions did you get? Uh, nothing. And I think the client though is probably still looking for us to come back in our pitch with some creative, like here's some samples of some ads or whatever. And I'm not doing that. We're coming back with, yeah, yeah, that's cool. We're going to have some creative, but here's the plan of how we're going to sell some of your product. And it, but it, we'll have to give them some creative and some other stuff, but it is, it's that balance of how, how do you mix those two? And I'm, I'm going to spend more time in that proposal talking about the tactics and the techniques and the technology of how we do it and almost take for granted that of course, we're going to create quality visuals that you need, but the web, it's the web overall, there was a period of the spinning globes and the flames and the whatever, and all this stuff where the web was more an art project and it was cool. Like, if your site had 3D stuff on it or whatever. But much like, you know, a physical building might be avant-garde to have your front door on the back side of the building, you wouldn't do that. And the web is becoming like that now too. The web needs to look professional. It needs to look like the organization you are and who you want to be tomorrow, not who you were yesterday. But of, so of course it needs to be on brand and quality and that kind of stuff. But it's, it's about people getting in, getting the information 
they need and getting out. They're not looking to hang out like it's Disneyland. You know, that's <laughs> not the point of most websites. You know, I mean, websites for Disneyland, maybe sure. But for most websites that you and I go to, we're walking into the store, we're getting our Cheetos and we're walking out. That's the purpose. They don't want, you don't want to walk through a maze with animatronics to get your Cheeto. Well, that sounds kind of cool, but, but <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, cool. You, don't, you don't really want to do that. Yeah. You want your customers to get to what they need and get out. And that's, it, it is more of a, there are standards in the web today and such like that. You don't need, it's not a, it's not a design contest. So the, the, I think the best line of this whole show, you know, really we, we've hit it already. It's like the web is not like Disneyland. Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's going to be the whole, the right. high point. Uh, it's all downhill right. from now. Yep. <laughs> no, it'll be good. So, so from a strategy perspective, like, let's talk that for a second. Sure. Let's just pick, I don't know, let's pick an imaginary company. It could be one of them that we have as clients or whatever, but sure. like, let's just pick a company. Yep. So or, or let's pick a challenge. Let's pick a challenge in business. What's the number one challenge you're hearing right now? Oh, so when we work with, you know, manufacturers in particular, a big challenge is, are they going to continue to work through their traditional dealer channel, you know, their B2B connections of how they sell business, or are they going to go straight to consumer? And now that the internet will allow them to do that, can they sell directly to their end consumers? Okay. That's a big one we deal with all the time. This is beautiful. Okay. I'm glad that you picked this one. Uh, So I'm going to give you an example of the of the, a piece of this kind of conversation. So, sure. you know, one of our, one of our uh, businesses that, that I own is a gym and we have kickboxes, we have the bags there. And uh, so the company that manufactures those bags, they charge us, I don't even know, like $350 for the bag plus the shipping on it. Sure. So my sister calls me up a couple months ago and she says, I'm going to create a gym in my house. And I'm so excited. And I went and got a bag, a heavy bag online on Amazon. I'm like, Oh, cool. What kind did you get? And it was the exact same one as the ones that we produce. And she paid less than we're paying Oops. with our manufacturer's wholesale discount. And yeah. I'm, what in the world? I think that goes to what you're talking about. So Oops. let's go in there. And I know we're going to go on break here real quick. Actually, that's really perfect. Let, we're going to pause when we get back from break. Let's go into that. What are some of the considerations that we look at when we said, do we go direct to consumer or do we follow our same patterns? Because this is this is a big thing. Great. Oh, the tension. All right, we'll come back. Yeah, the tension. Okay, <laughs> so you guys are listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. And we're here with my friend and guest today, Michael Bird. So we're going to go on this quick break. And when we get back, the tension will be released. <laughs> we'll see you here in just a second. Building a business is a lot like baking a cake. There are certain ingredients that can't be missed. By listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Neeson, you will learn the five key steps that every great business utilizes. You will hear from successful entrepreneurs that will share what works and what doesn't work in their businesses. You will have an opportunity to ask questions so you can apply these steps directly to your business. Host and business coach Kathleen Reeson built seven successful businesses while raising three boys, volunteering extensively, and having some time left for her husband and herself. Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson, and she will show you how you can build the business and the life you dream of, too. Are you ready? Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson Radio Show every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Are you a subject matter expert? 
Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspired Choices Network has a global radio platform streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Risa. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. And we are here with my friend and guest, Michael Bird. And we are talking all about strategy. And so now we've thrown out the strategy. So Michael, tell tell everyone again, what's the strategy we're talking about? What's the challenge? Well, yeah, we we were talking, you know, we work with a lot of manufacturers and we were talking about, you know, manufacturers have a dealer channel or system of distributors or other people they've worked through to get their products to the market they've maybe used for years. And now they're looking at the internet saying, could we sell directly to consumer in addition to or instead of that approach? And obviously there's a lot of balancing act to do there. Yeah, so so if I'm, let's just say I'm that client or I'm coming to you and I'm coming sure. with this challenge of like, look, I see that this tool is available to me. How, how do I utilize that? So where do you go in that conversation? Sure. So like with everything that we do, we try to back up and really understand from the 30,000 foot view, what they've been doing, how they got here, their history, et cetera, because organizations are all in very different places. And maybe they've already done some selling to consumers. Maybe they've broken that wall in some way that we don't have to make a big deal about it. Or maybe this is the taboo topic at every dealer meeting um, that, and you've promised them you'll never go in that direction. You know, like we, we have to find out all that, you know, background. But let's assume that they've had discussions about it, but there's no real crazy, you know, kind of on either side there. It's just, it's just a point of discussion. So where we normally start with that is, okay, again, let's lay it out on the table. Who are the different levels of partners? How do you, what discounts do you give them, you know, et cetera. And, and we encourage them to, as much as possible, obviously develop a solution that, sure, it's going to ruffle feathers here and there but would seem fair if you had to sit and explain it to people. So maybe that, like your scenario you gave before we went on break of the consumer being able to go buy it cheaper than you as the partner, the dealer was able to buy it. That doesn't seem great. You know, you should be, yes, if, so let's say they can go buy it directly. You should have been in a situation where you as the dealer could have bought that product resold it to your sister for a better price than she could go get it on Amazon directly from this company. That should be the balance. Or, you know, we've seen other scenarios where, okay, sell directly in my market to the consumer, but they're still assigned to a dealer. And so that dealer still gets some credit, even though they had nothing to do with that sale. Maybe it's smaller credit than they would have gotten if they'd made the sale themselves where they'd put effort in but it's still a, you know, here's something for you. Um, or maybe they, they get assigned to that dealer for future maintenance and things like that. So yeah, they didn't get the initial sale, 
but I can't do maintenance work for them over the internet. So let's still connect that end consumer with the dealer and they still win in the long run of service and things like that. So we just try to, how can we introduce this new, just like if they were introducing a new product or a new level of dealers or something like that, how can we introduce this in the least disruptive way and be as transparent as possible with all involved? Yeah, and I think what you're bringing up in these questions, I know like when I ran, uh, we ran Measure Intentions, I took for granted that a lot of these conversations were happening. And so for a while I thought, oh, like we're just getting the information because clearly they've had these conversations and then they don't like, we are the value of saying, Hey, let's just think through this. Maybe, you know, these answers, maybe you don't. And what I found was those conversations weren't really happening. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) so, so look, if you walk in other people's shoes, you find out that everybody's job is hard. Right. So, so I'm not, in, in saying what you're saying or saying what I'm saying about to say, I, I'm not saying these people are, you know, stupid or they have, they aren't applying themselves or they're not doing whatever. They've got stuff to do. You know, they have to go run their business. They have to get stuff out the door today. They have to make money. They have to pay people, all the things they have to do to run a business. But you're correct. Two, two things here. One, they probably haven't had the conversation just because again, C point A, they're busy with their daily stuff. So they may not have backed up and thought of all the intricacies around what does it mean to sell to consumers and who are we going to upset and who whatever, or it gets tossed around in the break room and they never really get to sit down just because they don't have time in the day to talk about it. Two, and I probably did A and two, I do that all the time, Um, but they don't know how to have the conversation in some cases. We in the agency world, the strategy world, the stuff like that, you know, we kind of have dog years of experience in this, like, right, that's what I do for a living is come into businesses and say, what if we shook things up and here's what happens? What if you did this different strategy? What if you did this? What if you did this? I've done that 10 times in the last six months. When you work at one organization that does the same thing every day and your job is director of operations there and you're doing what it needs to do to keep the lights on. How many times have you had a chance to back up and reinvent the business, rethink the business model, rethink that? Uh, maybe none, maybe once, maybe twice in your 20 years at this organization. If it's, if it's a successful organization, almost in spite of itself, you don't get the chance to sit around and think about reinventing and reinventing new products, new business models, new pricing schemes, whatever. When, since we're called in to be change agents, we do that all the time. They just don't have the structure, the thought process, the, the system to go through that conversation on their own in many cases, and let alone evidence of, well, I wonder if that'll work. Well, I can tell you at least in five cases, here's the three times it worked and here's the two it didn't. And here's a little bit about why. They don't have that evidence if they've worked at one place for 20 years. They bring a lot of other valuable information to the table being there 20 years, but what's going to work when we change something might not be what they're able to bring to the table. Yeah. I mean, there's so much value in exactly what you just said. Like, let's say we're working with a manufacturer of, uh, I have a pen in front of me. So sure. a pens, I don't know how this pen gets created. I certainly don't know how it gets to be purple. I don't know this stuff, but what I know is if this pen company now wants to sell uh, a magical eraser that erases pens, like, cool. I'd be totally on board with how we could shift and, and create the, the questions to ask 
to think about how this company that the Sharpie <clears throat> that now wants to make these erasers and how they could cross sell them and what they could create. Right. But Sharpie's not having that conversation. They're having the, how do we make the lighter purple or the blue pen or the green Correct. pen? And so it's exactly that space. I know I took for granted, like, but of, well, of course they would just know how to create that. And that was underselling the value that really strategy is, is about. And what you, what I heard you just say was in the, we have these conversations, you know, 10 times in the last six months. Absolutely. And that's not, they're really good at, at creating Sharpie right. pens right. or, you know, whatever else Sharpie creates. I don't know Sharpie sure. well enough to say that, but yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with it. And so realizing that, that strategy is, is a wonderful thing to have within a company, but it's also a really valuable tool to bring a company in to support. Yeah. Well, and, and obviously I'm biased in this approach, but they don't need somebody like me on staff all the time. You know, they need me to come in and re they need, they need me to come and help do this, me and our agency to come in and do this reinvention for them. Now they may need us all the time to do like the digital marketing or the e-commerce work ongoing and stuff, but having somebody that's good at coming in and rethinking and reframing the business, you're not going to do that every year. You know, you, you know, so keep, getting somebody on staff who wants to just shake things up all the time could almost be too disruptive, you know? So you just need, you know, working with an agency, a strategy agency of some sort to come in and rethink things, examine things makes sense because you need that heavy hitter to come in and do that stuff at a time. And then you implement and that person can go away for a while. And then if you're ready to, you know, then when you're reacting to that change and you go, okay, that worked or didn't work. And now we want to pivot again, you can come back to some kind of strategy group and work with them again but you don't need that person there every day. So that's a hard person to find and it's a hard person to keep employed in a place that isn't moving at their speed. Yeah. So where have you found, I know one of the challenges for me being that constant disruptor, as I run my businesses, I want to constantly disrupt them because yeah. I know that on the other side, we're going to constantly create this space of what's, what is like ultimately possible. How sure. have you found focus in this space of constant desire to disrupt oh yeah oh do i do, do i eat my own dog food um yeah so um dog so so no <laughs> you know i mean so yeah so i try you know i talked earlier about being not as risk averse or being more risk averse right than some people might be in my that uh, might be as an entrepreneur again i haven't jumped companies for 25 years we've started some new stuff but i'm still at the same organization i started 25 years ago i'm not you know, jump all over the place and start something new every two years. That's not my, my thing. I use, you know, the clients we have as that outlet for me to be able to do that kind of change and re-examination. Certainly I need to do that for myself sometimes in our organization, but we, yes, we have a mission. Yes, we have a goal, but really my mission and goals and change and creativity is all vented out at helping my clients change and be something different tomorrow and letting our organization just kind of flow along that current and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, we're a little bigger now. We have some extra people we need because we have to serve these clients, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same thing, but, but, but that is why occasionally, and even right now we have some external partners doing some marketing for Spindustry because it's hard to think about yourself and, and you're too, you're either too critical or too easy on yourself sometimes. And so having, 
um, that external perspective, we have embraced that ourselves. And like I said, brought in some people to help us think because we're too close to it. And for some of those same reasons that we would encourage other people to outsource it, just sometimes, you know, when you've beat your head against the wall, you need, you need that outside perspective and that person, just like I'm saying with other folks to bring in experiences they've had to help us um, market ourselves. Because as we're kind of dancing around here, you know, a firm like Spindustry is a weird thing to market a little bit. It's like, well, we're kind of a creative agency, kind of a technical agency. We do e-commerce to help people do this stuff. But oh yeah, then we do SharePoint over here to help you be more efficient. In my head, it all makes sense, right? You know, you need the balance of creativity and technology and, you know, between those two things, we can help you grow or be more efficient, but it's all Microsoft technology and it's all helping a business be better and grow. It all seems in line for me but I'm very close to it. I can see somebody externally to the firm, maybe not understanding why we're doing a couple of those things or how they, or why that makes us a better choice than somebody else. And so we're always trying to figure out how to message that. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's tremendous value in what you're saying. A lot of the times where you and I have come together in yeah. partnership to work is like, Hey, we get to look at this differently. And even as a strategist, having another strategist come in and interrupt different thoughts, because we all get to have those interruptions of it when we're thinking, even though you and I can think a million different ways, having somebody interrupt it and just ask questions, that is so valuable. And it's something that, I mean, I don't take it for granted that we can meet and have a conversation about strategy and have these different viewpoints. And for companies to be able to have access to that, that's huge. And most of the time, I know when I create businesses or opportunities with businesses, I'm like going like this, like, okay, where's it going to work? Where's it going to work here? All right, let's go forward. And this process of figuring it out can be daunting for a lot of people because they just want to be like, let's just go here and figure it out if it works. I'm like, you know what? We're going like this. And to me, this is the strategy of, okay, where are we going to go? Where we're going here? No, I agree. The ability to come up with ideas and also parse them into what makes them good and think about them in a systematic fashion is is not something to take for granted for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in really like strategists, I know when I went to school, strategist wasn't a major. Right. Yeah. I'm mean like, I mean, you said, you know, you're double, I have double major in advertising and accounting and it served me really well to have that account, like the, the creative space and the, the analyzer space kind of meld together. So there is something to, to really training both sides of our mind. Yep. Agreed. Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation about strategy. You are listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson. We're here with my friend, Michael Bird, and we're talking all about strategy. So we will hear, we will be back here in just a second. Talk to you soon. Building a business is a lot like baking a cake. There are certain ingredients that can't be missed. By listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Neeson, you will learn the five key steps that every great business utilizes. You will hear from successful entrepreneurs that will share what works and what doesn't work in their businesses. You will have an opportunity to ask questions so you can apply these steps directly to your business. Host and business coach Kathleen Reeson built seven successful businesses while raising three boys, volunteering extensively, and having some time left for her husband and herself. Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Neeson, and she will show you how you can build the business and the life you dream of, too. Are you ready? Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Neeson Radio Show every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com.
Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Risa. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson. We're here with my friend, Michael Bird, and we're talking all about strategy, like how we create it, why it's important to focus on strategy. And one of the things that I want to talk about is the focus on intention, like that goal, that vision that we had for a company versus mechanism, the, the, like, the thing. So for example, we use Sharpie company as an example. If I'm Sharpie, my, what's my, my mission might be to create uh, writing utensils or to, to create words into the world. And the mechanism might be the pen. So what I'm seeing is a lot of companies focus on the mechanism level. This is what I create or the bakery that opens and says, we make muffins and then people don't want to buy the muffins and they think they have to go out of business, not realizing that the same muffin tin also makes cupcakes. And so the companies that are really mechanism focused versus the ones that are intention focused. So are you seeing this as a challenge? Yes. So yes and no. Um, So First of all, like you, like we talked about a little bit earlier, we come into a lot of businesses that have been in existence for a long time and, you know, getting them back up to even the mission vision kind of discussion versus just, versus just getting through their day, you know, is, is a, a first challenge. So often we're, we're helping to just do something a little more tactical, you know, as a first touch, but yes, we want to, we, we need to get them back up to that level and talk about vision and strategy. And so, you know, one thing, one thing I was thinking about is the reason I think that's a little, so this creates an opportunity and a challenge, right? The internet in general has changed the game so much when people were local businesses and local towns, right? Your vision was kind of cast for you in a little bit. Like if you were the baker, like you said, in a small town, that's who you were. And nobody was going to open up a competing bakery against you. That's what Jim does is he's the baker or whatever. Like there, so somebody got to be known or that's the local pizza place or the whatever. And for better or for worse now, you know, the pizza place across town or the pizza place across the state or the pizza place across the world, you know, an Omaha steaks or whatever, you know, they, they can provide stuff, you know, you can get stuff from all over the all over the place. So people still like to shop local, but the identity is harder to define. And the idea that people are obsessed with the local whatever place versus being obsessed with something that may not even exist physically, maybe a virtual organization, it's crowded the space of how can I be the pizza place when there's so many pizza places? Like, and should that stop you? I don't, I don't know. I mean, when we started as trying to be a web agency or a programming agency, and it was me and a, two other people, there were certainly other organizations already doing that, right? I mean, I could have business planned myself out of starting this company and said, like, what's my vision? What's my differentiator? How am I unique from these other people? And I don't, I don't know that I would have been able to come up with it enough to say, I just thought, well, I can maybe do it a little bit better and faster and I want to do this. And there's probably room in this world for more, but it also was a pretty low risk business to get into. 
if I'm building a factory or building a, a cupcake facility or I'm building a bakery or whatever, I have to maybe plan a little bit more and have that vision and know that there's a lot to lose if I don't get it right. But, um, you know, I think it is, I think the, that every business is competing essentially internationally or at least nationally and regionally has caused a lot of strife in how do we identify a vision and mission that's truly unique and whether or not that's necessary. I'm not, I don't have the answer to that exactly today, but I think that's, it had the, the field of play has certainly changed since 30 years ago. Yeah. So yeah, I hear that. Uh, and like, let's just pick, well, sure. even, I mean, manufacturing, it's like, because they're creating a pro something specific, it seems like, I mean, yeah, you gotta have an intention. Like you said, there's a lot of infrastructure. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot more at risk. They're like when I started my marketing firm and it, right. just like you, it's like, well, we just start and okay, right. wherever we go, we go and we can pivot. And when we, I didn't have a, a physical space for a year right. and it didn't matter. So, so low risk entry. And then we have the ability to be really, to really fluctuate. So what are you hearing? I mean, are you working with any manufacturers that are in that early phase or are they all, I mean, are you hearing those conversations these days? Yeah. And I mean, and the, yeah, no, we are, we work with some, we work with some startups as well. And yeah. it's just a balance of our, you know, so the good and the bad, right. Is it's harder to be unique, but the market is so much larger. Do you need to be this unique, special snowflake that's never existed or if you just can get 1% of this giant market, is that enough business to, you know, feed your family and pay your employees and, and, and have some idea of, sure, some idea of vision and direction of what you're doing. But like I said, the, the stuff beyond kind of the vision, but like our three uniques or our whatever, like how do we really prove we're something totally different? Well, that is a lot harder in a, in a global <laughs> economy, to, you know, all the muffin, like you said, all the cupcake shops that have come up in the past X number of years, yeah. eh, they're, they're not really different from each other. They're just, each one has a little personality and a little whatever, and some of them have stuck around and some haven't, but how much, they don't really need to be super unique. They just need to be quality and cool and have a personality, engage on that personality and like a social media, et cetera. And then, um, you know, deliver on what you promise and, and make enough money to, again, you know, pay for your business and, and, and grow how you want to, but it is yeah. tougher. I mean, think about how much harder it is to just protect a brand in this day and age. Yeah. We, I mean, we don't divide into a phone book by categories anymore. The reason like a company like Pepsi started calling themselves a lifestyle company, right, is so they could protect their brand across all industries. You know, I mean, it's, you, it's, there's so much more competition and I mean, just how, you know, again, how do you, how do you protect a name? How do you protect an idea? How do you protect uh, a, a type of business that you're doing nationwide or worldwide? That's, it's a lot harder to be unique, but like I said, it's also the upside of that is so many of these ideas of, we want to go from being a regional, whatever to a national, whatever think about what you would have had to do to do that in 1965. Yeah. You know, you would have had to build offices in 12 cities across the country and put salespeople in those 12 offices and figure out a way 
via long distance conference calls or you know meeting twice a year to discuss things and stay and they could be ripping you off in the other office and you wouldn't know it like i mean there was just crazy and now you can at the flick of a website be in business across the country so harder to be unique harder to have your own personal vision that nobody's ever thought of but but so much more opportunity and you only need a little piece of the market to be successful so make sure whatever you're doing you can build a business model around if we sell x we'll make enough money to exist try to have as much of a personality as you can but i i do question sometimes you know the the struggle to be to, to, to prove there's nobody else like you in the world. I think that's just become very difficult given the field of play we're in today. Yeah, yeah, and I think, like, let's clarify the intention space of, I hear exactly what you're saying of like, maybe the intention is to have you know, 100% market share. Gosh, what market share does Apple even right, have? Right. Are they like 51 or something? I don't know what right, they right. are, but, but I mean, like they have a significant market share. Sure. But I mean, really, it, like when I when I think of vision or intention for a company, it's like what you said, we want to be the maybe it's the leader in this space, but this space is my neighborhood area, or this space is you know two percent of the market share in the Midwest region, or you know whatever that looks like. But I don't the whole the whole idea of competition. Like I get that competition exists. I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but if we have our space. If we've created our space, does it matter? Yeah, it's just it's just a lot more fuzzy, right? I mean, like, and people like to be brand advocates. You know, people like to like different things. You know, like, I don't know, like local, like local breweries and stuff like that. They're never going to, you know, one of their local brews is never going to become probably, you know, the nationwide king of beers. You know, it's probably not going to happen. But do they care? If they, if they have a local market that they're serving and they, you know, via people coming here and having their drink that they like, and then going back home and taking the coaster with them that says, you can order this online. You know, maybe they develop a little online business and a little personality across the country. They don't, they aren't probably trying to be Budweiser or Coors or whatever. You know, they just, they're just trying to develop a little niche, you know, brand that people will be people will advocate for online, people will get excited about and will build slowly to something that's enough of a business for them. And again, you can still have some vision, you can still, and you can still have goals of, we want to double next year or triple next year or something. But, you know, being the leader in the space, again, is, is to your point is how you define it. If you try to, if you were one of these little, if you're Joan Soda or somebody and you're like, I want to be the leader in the cola space, you probably got to, long road ahead of you but if you just said we want to be the number one independent you know whatever then they can maybe do that or they could say you know we just want to we want to you know or or one of these um, smaller places that gives money back to charity or something you know we want to do this and we want to raise a million a year for cancer research or something that's their goal is to serve a great drink that benefits a good cause or something you know, you can have those type of goals that are different than, you know, dominating an industry in a, in a world where, like I said, you know, I think being the leader of an industry is just so harder, is just so much harder because of the ability to reach across geographic lines today. It just changes yeah. things. And that, so what I, what I hear there is that 
what I see that like the really successful companies do differently is that they define what the space is for them yeah. instead of looking for their competitors or somebody else to define it for them. But they're really authentic about like, this is who we are. And whether it's a million dollars for cancer charity or, or whatever that is, they say like, this is what we are creating, not because somebody else said so, but because this is what, this is what matters to us. And we're all in on that. And when somebody else comes along and is doing something that's totally different, cool, because customers gravitate towards that when we're strong about a million dollar in cancer research. Cool. I want to support that. I don't know what this guy's doing over here, but it's hard to pull away from a really strong commitment like that. Yeah. And it does, it ties into what we were talking about in the first segment, right? If you're that manufacturer that sells B2B, if your identity is we provide we're the, we're the best to work with for dealers. We're the best leader of producing these products, whatever it is. That's cool. If if your identity is we make the best lawnmowers in America or whatever, then switching how you sell them doesn't disrupt your identity. So it's it's it it all ties together in thinking about like I said how you want to do business, how you want to change things, but also you know what is baked into your external and your internal identity. Yeah. So this is, we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to bring all of this together about what we're talking about. Really like what, how do we apply strategy? So that's what we've been talking about for the last 45 minutes. And we will tie it all together. You are listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson. And my friend and guest, Michael Bird, has been here with us all morning. And he'll be with us as we tie this all together. We'll see you in just a second. Building a business is a lot like baking a cake. There are certain ingredients that can't be missed. By listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Neeson, you will learn the five key steps that every great business utilizes. You will hear from successful entrepreneurs that will share what works and what doesn't work in their businesses. You will have an opportunity to ask questions so you can apply these steps directly to your business. Host and business coach Kathleen Reeson built seven successful businesses while raising three boys, volunteering extensively, and having some time left for her husband and herself. Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson, and she will show you how you can build the business and the life you dream of, too. Are you ready? Listen to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson Radio Show every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Profit Launch with Kathleen Reeson here on Inspired Choices Network. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we are here with my friend and guest, Michael Bird. We've been talking all about strategy. And so, Michael, I'm going to put you on the spot. Not that I haven't for the last 45 minutes, but tell me in 25 years of business and after consulting with you know, thousands of people, of clients, yes, of companies, yes. you know, what is, what's your biggest, maybe like top three takeaways on uh, you know, how to move forward? What, what have you seen that's really working? Huh. All right. Well, I was prepared for two. Just kidding. Um, okay, we, one. We, we, Whatever you we, want. We can do three. We can do no, no, no. Uh, um, you know, I think the. I think a couple things. I've, I've, uh, you, I've, I've told you this before. I think 
we have one of the biggest updates I've ever made to proposals we've issued to companies is just updating the year. So we issue a proposal to them in 2005. They don't do it. They hit the same pain the next year and they call me back and say, can we talk about that again? I'm like, we sure can. And it'll be easier this year. I'm just going to put a six on it instead of a five and send it back to you. And you're going to sign it this time and we're going to do it. Right. So I see companies get stuck on, they, they're like one end or the other, like you said, they're either changing all the time and with no planning to it and no strategy or whatever, or they're stuck and they know enough to see the pain. They know enough to reach out and ask for help, but then they, and it's not chickening out. They got a lot of risk here. They got a lot of whatever, but like, you know, sometimes it is time to make a change and try something. And so that's one is, you know, be willing to look at change. Change is hard for everybody, um, but do it in a smart way. Two, man, the internet has made trying stuff easier. So, you, you know, if our dads or grandfathers or grandmothers or whoever was in business looked at some of the advantages we have today in how to sample uh, trying a new business, how to put yourself out there in the world, how to try introducing a new product or a new pricing mechanism, and then be the ability to then obviously either be successful at that or rewind and put it back in the box quickly without having ruined your business so much easier today than it was 30 years ago. So look at the internet as an opportunity to try those new things. And that ties into the first one, but it's like, that is a mechanism for trying these things. Take out some of those ideas you had in 1995 and 2005 that you were like, this is a big idea, but there's no way to do it. I'll bet if we unearthed some of those cool thoughts you had back then in your XYZ manufacturing company, the landscape has changed so much that we could do those things today and try them with much less risk than it it was before. And then, you know, this is going to sound a little self-serving, but, you know, see, I don't know, find find a really good partner to do this with. There, this, the unfortunate side, sorry guys, the unfortunate side of the marketing and technology agency world is it is a relatively easy business to start. So some of the people doing it are not great at it. Uh, you know, find, find some people with some history, find some people that can show you they've done it before, find some people that you like working with, and it's going to be a, a partnership that you're going to have for a long time if you work with an agency like us in your business. So make sure you like them. I could go into a whole other podcast about the thing I hate the most, which is RFPs and requests for proposals. Um, I, I think when organizations are seeking businesses like us to do business with, and even in this world today, that's all Zoom and whatever, not in person, you kind of got to start with the personality and the expertise, meet with these people and find out if you like working with them, if they're generating ideas, if they sound intelligent, you know, whatever. The, the RFP process drums out a lot of that and nine times out of 10 agencies, A, back to my earlier point, end up doing nothing out of an RFP process or two, I did A and two again. Um, they clearly picked the wrong agency. It's well, not a good process. They- wanted in the beginning. I mean, it's so funny that you brought that up. Like, thank you so much. 
because you, we could do a whole conversation oh, on it, absolutely. but you and I have had this conversation. <laughs> we just stopped. We just stopped the RFP process. We didn't, we didn't even play in that game. But, just, but you can't, but you can't always do it. There's some great organizations and some great projects. And, you know, I understand like state governments and some of those places have to go to RFP. Well, let me correct that. They have to reach out in some organized way and allow for multiple candidates. But I think there's a better way to do it. You know, I think, again, starting with a smaller pool of people, talking to people first, narrowing down your list, sending out a short request for information and then narrowing down from there. There's a lot of ways to improve that process, but it is one of the banes of, of people, good companies connecting with good people is the failures of that process. And so I don't, you know, talk to people, you know, get referrals, find a good partner, be willing to take risks and know that the internet is more of an opportunity than a burden. And with a good partner beside you, you can use the internet to grow your business amazingly or to run your business more efficiently with something like SharePoint. And uh, yeah, we'd, we'd love to talk to anybody about that stuff. We can help them. I love doing this stuff. Awesome. Yeah. I would just add on to that third point of making sure that the partner that you pick will interrupt a lot of these kind of stories that we have of this is how it's always been done. And the strongest strategists are willing to be that interruption and say, but let's talk about this. So absolutely. Thank you for being on here today. If oh, anybody sure. wants to talk to you, how your information's in the show notes, how do they get a hold of you? Oh, sure. I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, no, I, you know, visit spindustry.com is the easiest. And, you know, I would eventually see the contact us forms from there. My email address is just mbird, M-B-I-R-D, at spindustry.com. Um, you know, on Twitter, we're on Spindustry. I'm also Iowa Birdman on Twitter. There may be some Funko and Star Wars talk and such on there, but I'll cool. listen to business things as well. Um, yeah, though, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and whatever. There's a few other Michael Birds in Iowa and across the country, but if he looks like this and he talks about business and Disneyland a lot, it's probably me. Yes. Yeah. And my favorite line of the entire show, the web is not like Disneyland. We don't go in there to create the community. No. We go in there, buy the Cheetos and get out. Yeah. That is today's show is beautiful. I'm glad I could help. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being a part of this. And so you guys got to hear like really what strategy and what interruption to the course of, of how we are thinking. And strategy is really about standing as that interruption. So you guys, I can't thank you enough for being present and listening today. We come on every Monday with conversations just like this. It's a lot of fun to just see what people are up to and think differently, think differently. So enjoy your Monday. And our encouragement to you is to go out, have fun and create, truly create. Have yeah. fun. And don't worry if you get it wrong. You've gotten it wrong plenty. And we're still here. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to Profit Launch with Kathleen Misa. Kathleen Reason will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Would you like to be on the show or do you have a show idea? Go to KathleenReason.com forward slash radio. Have a great week.